0: do a loving-kindness contemplation together. It is differs from the loving-kindness meditation insofar that we're actually trying to look inside of ourselves and see whether we can accomplish those things which we are hoping to accomplish. In the loving-kindness meditation, we try to arouse the feeling for ourselves and others and stay with that feeling which is triggered by the thought which I'm expressing when it's a guided one when, it's a, when you do it by yourself then the thought has to come from you and the feeling from that then is the meditation subject Sometimes it stays with the thought, that's all right, it will eventually come to the feeling. In the loving-kindness contemplation, we contemplate how we can actually accomplish that which we would like to do, to the things that we are mentioning, that I'm going to mention now, that we would like to have within, and how it's possible. So it is more geared towards insight into ourselves, where the other is more geared towards arousing that kind of feeling. The feeling which leads to calm, the contemplation which leads to insight. In order to start, please put the attention on the breath again. and now please repeat after me may I be free from enmity now the first thing to do is to inquire within whether sometimes there are feelings and thoughts of enmity of dislike, rejection, anger whether those thoughts and feelings are helpful to oneself and others or whether one would rather let go of them. So, having found that they do arise, how to make it possible to either quickly distinguish them, or not even let them arise. First, this may be only a wish, but it may go further than that. The understanding of substitution may already be a helpful effort. May I be free from hurtfulness. Again, we can inquire whether we ever have within the wish, the thought, the feeling of hurting another or have actually accomplished that through words or so deep. Inquire again whether that is conducive to peace and harmony within. And if it's not, how can we reduce it, eliminate it, substitute for it? May I be free from troubles of mind and body. (coughs) Wishing that, hoping for that, entails being one's own best friend. It's very important to inquire, how can I be my own best friend? How do I get rid of troubles of mind and body? How do I look after the mind best? How do I look after the body best? May I be able to protect my own happiness? The first thing to inquire, is what is my own happiness? What constitutes my happiness? And having found that, how do I protect it? May all, be May all beings be free from enmity. Now, first, having inquired into oneself and wished for oneself this release from the negative emotions. And possibly having found a way to do it, we wish the same for all others. And if we know a way to be free from enmity, we may share it with others. Mostly, we can share that through our being. beings be free from hurtfulness again what we have wished for ourselves we wish for others and having found a way for ourselves we can share it mostly we share it by being totally harmless ourselves Where we protect ourselves, we also protect others. beings be free from troubles of mind and body. Here again we wish the same for others. Having found a way to be trouble-free, we may be able to be helpful. All beings be able to protect their own happiness yeah. this is a challenge for ourselves that we do not interfere with others what they think constitutes happiness even if we don't think so if we are able to protect our happiness then we will be rendered harmless we will not disturb others might consider this also a challenge to help others, but we can only help as far as we have already helped ourselves. I have used the word purification quite a number of times already and one of the most important books containing a concise and detailed explanation of the Buddhist teaching, written in the 5th century is called The Path of Purification and often we talk about the teaching as the path of purification and if we actually learn to observe ourselves we will find that everything that bothers us within nothing but impurity, negativities. sometimes they come out as hate and sometimes they come out as greed and everything that can be put under those two categories the path of purification concerns heart and mind it's a path which brings results at every step, not only at the end. Each single step brings a new and um, better view of oneself and the world. We've been doing loving kindness meditation. We'll do that every evening. We've been doing it twice. We now did a loving-kindness contemplation. If you observe yourself after you finish with the loving-kindness meditation, and you have actually felt, or even just thought, those thoughts or felt those feelings, you should have noticed that there's a feeling of clarity, relief, and peacefulness. If the mind only goes in that one direction, and the heart actually can follow too, then there is a feeling of being relieved from a burden, a lack of heaviness, if you observe yourself, you will find it. A meditation retreat is there to observe yourself. If you don't want to do that, observe yourself. A meditation retreat is not useful. We are the only ones; each one of us is meditating. Each one of us is the one that wants to be happy. So what else is there to observe except oneself? Out in the world we don't have time very often. Things happen. But here nothing happens other than what you make happen. You're totally in charge of your own scene here. I've already explained to you the purification of thought how to do it you may be able to notice now certainly at the end of the course that the Buddha's instructions are an exact how to part how to do it Nowhere else, in any spiritual endeavor, is it possible to find such an exact how-to. Naturally, after you've got the how-to, you've got to do it. But it's so exact and so clear that anyone with goodwill, good intention, And self-observation and self-honesty can do it. With self-observation comes self-honesty. It's very difficult to be honest about oneself. Some people are apt to put themselves down. They think they can't do anything, they're worse than others. It's just as useless thinking too much of oneself I can do all those things I know all those things I'm alright none of it is realistic Both, strangely enough are ego trips that's all they are I'm less than you or I'm more than you Both is an ego trip On our level, we can say we're all equal. We're all the same. And not some more than others. We're just the same. On another level, of course, we're not at all. But we don't talk about that level. Because on that level, we don't have to practice. Once we have seen that we're not, there's nothing to practice. So we talk about this level where we're at. And at this level, we're neither less nor more. We're all in the same boat. Exactly. And with self-observation has to come self-honesty. And if we can't be honest about ourselves, to ourselves, then, of course, we can't use the how-tos. Because the how-tos presume that something needs to be done. Now, the thinking process has the four supreme efforts. You can use them now, anytime. And if you can't remember, ask. There's nothing more important than using those four. It changes one's whole mental makeup. And with the change of the mental makeup comes a solid base, solidity within, not being pushed around by others nor by oneself. That solid base That's mostly lacking in people. And that being lacking, one finds oneself at the mercy of one's own thoughts and at the mercy of the thoughts of others. (coughs) The Buddha called that being a slave. It's a word we don't use very much, but we know what it means. Now the thought process contains the four supreme efforts, The concentration itself and the mindfulness are purification aspects. But there is another extremely important purification aspect with an exact how to, with exact instruction and so valuable and so totally logical that it's always again and again surprising that we don't do it until it becomes so imperative that something needs to be done because the inner life has become very unhappy, very upset. It concerns our emotions. And the instructions are, again, that there are four emotions which are worth having. They're called in Pali the four Brahma Viharas. Now a Vihara is an abode, a place to live. And the Brahmas are the gods so they are the four divine abodes. They are called they are the four supreme emotions. And if we actually perfect them within, we have an inner life which is like paradise. So we live in the divine abodes. We can't buy paradise. Although one begins to think, though, when one reads the advertisements and the billboards. You know, you're used to all that. When I come from outside, it hits you like a ton of bricks. You can't buy it, it's not for sale. Nobody's got it. But you can find it, it's within. It's available to every single human being with goodwill, honesty, and self-observation. These are the four supreme emotions. In Pali they're called metta karuna mudita upekka Metta you've probably heard if you've been in some Buddhist meditation retreats. They talk about it a lot and it's usually translated as loving-kindness which is what I've also done when I used it as a word for the meditation in the evening but I don't particularly like that translation because although it's totally correct it's a totally correct translation I don't particularly like it because it doesn't seem to have the strength, the charge that the word love has. The word love has much more charge behind it. The word loving kindness seems to have a lack of that. So I'm going to use the word love. And I'm going to explain to you at this point the difference between what we call love and what the Buddha calls love and although it seems to be just one single emotion it has a totally different connotation behind it in our language and in our thinking process and language is nothing but a result of a thinking process. Love is usually considered to be a relationship. It can be a relationship between two people, between two adults. It can be a relationship between one adult and children. It can be a relationship between an adult and an ideal. It can be a relationship between several adults but it's got to be a relationship love means there's somebody there and usually the most important one is the one-to-one and that's then called love but in reality it doesn't bring that what one has maybe dreamt about earlier, before one's tried it, what love is supposed to be like, and why is that? Of course, one immediately puts a fault at the partner; he or she is not measuring up because it's not bringing the results that one has expected from love, but. Got nothing to do with that at all. The reason it doesn't bring the results one has expected is because it's an impure love. It's based on a reciprocal agreement, it's marketplace. I love you, you love me back. And as long as the other one is there, things are all right long as the other person hasn't changed him or herself now underneath all our illusions about solidity about ourselves about others subconsciously every intelligent person knows that everything constantly changes we try to avoid thinking about it we try to refrain from taking it into our mental and emotional makeup, but we all know it. Now, not only does this already, this avoidance, create a fear a resistance within us, but it also creates fear. So, our love for another person, and be it ever so well. Um, created the relationship is always tinged with fear and fear is part of hate we don't fear what we love we fear what we hate now we don't hate the other person not necessarily at all what we hate is the idea that the status quo may be changed as we well know that it will And with that fear which is particularly strong in mother love but equally strong in relationship love or equally um, common in relationship love our feeling of love is totally impaired. It doesn't have the purity the brilliance the shining ease that love is supposed to have and so we think it's not working we may actually not blame the other we may be blaming ourselves for whatever it is we're doing wrong but there's nobody and nothing to blame the only thing that's wrong is our idea of love love is a heart quality just like intelligence is a mind quality. And it has absolutely nothing to do with who is there to be loved. Nothing at all. If there's one particular person we can love, great. But that should always be considered to be a seedbed, a seedbed in which we are becoming aware of of that seed of love which then can be nourished and flourish so that we can use it as our heart quality to use it for our constancy within the heart. You see, what we do with love is we turn it on, so to say, like a light switch, when there's somebody there who we think is lovable. And then that person goes away and we turn it off again. Naturally, we feel insecure. How could anyone that turns the most important emotion on and off feel secure? Because when we've turned it off, we are prone and victim to our negative emotions. And we very well know from past experience that they're going to come up again. And then not only are we going to feel badly, ourselves, but the person that is getting them from us is also going to feel badly so this turning on and off of love is as if we were turning on and off our intelligence in the mind who does that? nobody nobody turns that off we use our intelligent mind under all circumstances no matter what it is that we do whether we are cooking or writing a book whether we are shopping or whether we are learning, we are using our mind to the best advantage. Same applies to our heart. From a relationship which is loving we can learn. That's all. We can use it as a seed and then having seen what it is like to feel love we can start Actually, making our heart a receptacle in which only love remains. Which means that our day to day confrontations with other people can be our learning situation. Everybody has confrontations with other people every day whether they are important ones or not, we meet people every day in some capacity. Every single person can be our object lesson. Can I love that person? The answer in the beginning is going to be a straight no. Most of the time we won't even be interested in that person. The only interest we have is what that person can give us. How they can help us, how they can be of use to us, whether it's the postman or the mechanic in the garage or whether it's the bank manager, whoever it is, what can they do for us? That approach is so common you probably don't notice it anymore. When you go home, try and notice you can start here there are plenty of people here it's not so difficult to love cats and dogs they don't talk back it's much easier even to love trees, shrubs and flowers they don't do a thing it's people we are one species constantly killing each other And not only killing each other, we refrain from that. And luckily, women are usually not involved in killing other women. And we should be very grateful for that. At least we are also hurting through non-attention, through indifference through self-motivation, through our selfishness confronting others with that what we want and having no concern whether there's love involved. Now love is a constant giving. But what do we lose when we give love? Not a thing. We get more and more love in our heart. If this would be clear to people everywhere, they'd all practice it. The more love we give, the more we've got. You don't lose anything by it. Most people are looking for somebody who's lovable, totally lovable. There is no such person. Only in Arahant, fully enlightened. And they are not necessarily around. We ourselves are not totally lovable. So what are we looking for? Instead of looking for somebody outside of ourselves to project this love to, the need is, to go inside ourselves and find that spark within our own heart which is love and loving which is care and caring and nourish it develop it and cultivate it over and over again so that eventually that little spark becomes quite a big light within. And as we do that, we will recognize that that feels wonderful within and makes life so simple. There isn't a person in the world that wouldn't like to be appreciated. If we have love in our hearts, we go out to do that we appreciate other people. If we have love in our hearts, we're grateful to other people. If there's love in our heart, we want to express it. So we do. But we don't choose just a few or just one. If we choose just a few or just one, it means that we're putting a barrier, a sense, around our heart and this barrier this fence that we have around our heart, we just open it a little bit to let one or two or three people in. should we lose that? we think love is lost totally absurd because that other person has got nothing to do with it the love is sitting in our heart so we consider that a tragedy if we lose that one person that we had chosen to be allowed to enter behind our fence if we didn't have a fence there if it was wide open And if our heart was full of love and ready to spill that out wherever was possible, one or two or three people, it doesn't make any difference. People are people. The reason we consider this such a tragedy when we lose the one or the two people that we think we need is because they support the idea that we are lovable because we ourselves don't believe it. We need to have the support system somebody else believes it. If we have love in our own heart we can feel love. That's all. We don't need anybody else to tell us that we're lovable. We feel love. We need nobody to support that idea. If somebody then thinks, which can happen quite easily, that we're not lovable ourselves, well, we can check it out and see whether we did something that wasn't lovable. But most of the time, if the heart is full of love, no such things happen. Because what flows out of us is exactly that what other people really want because they haven't created that love receptacle in their own heart yet. It's the only emotion which makes it possible to have the interpersonal relationships that we all deal with and often come across there is no other possibility. We can't think it out because even our thinking, as intelligent as we may be, is totally affected by our emotions. We live by our emotions. When it feels good, we like it. And when we like it, we do it. If there's a basis within which is indestructible, imperturbable, the Buddha called it, a basis on which we can build, which has nothing to do with personality, just that feeling of togetherness, giving oneself, one's heart to others, then it doesn't matter what happens whether other people are reciprocating or not. It's their problem. Sometimes our example may be helpful. Other times it may not. It doesn't matter. We're looking for our own happiness. We're looking for our own security. Everything we do in life is geared towards our own happiness, our own security, is the only way to find it. There is no other. Obviously, the far enemy of love is hate, but the near enemy of love is affection, because affection breeds attachment. And this attachment, which I've already mentioned to one or two or three people, is like sticking to something with glue. If we're attached, and we want to keep, and we want to have, we can't expand. The heart remains closed to the universality of love. The attachment is the near enemy. It look, It's called the near enemy because it has, of course, a certain similarity, affection, attachment to certain people. In fact, in our society, it's considered to be the done thing. You're supposed to be attached. But does it make anybody happy? That's another question. And does it actually give us the opportunity to expand our heart and make it immeasurable? The immeasurable heart is one way towards enlightenment. It must never have that personal love relationship embedded in it. Naturally, there are people that we are closer to. But we need to use that experience in order to make it universal. Now, when our meditation becomes a little more successful, we will have an opportunity To experience a totality a totality of existence these are not just words these have to be experiences I've seen those words bandied about many many times it's meaningless there is a totality of existence it's not enlightenment there is such a thing and it can be experienced in meditation. And when that is experienced, it's a very particular experience, it becomes much easier, of course, to love others (coughs) and not to discriminate between those who we think are lovable and those who are not. Our discrimination between those who we think lovable and those who are not is based on our ego delusion so it can never be totally true it's based on what we think believe on the things that we have heard on the things that we have taken in as truth but it's not based on absolute truth so our discrimination is a strictly personal idea which does not help us at all. It doesn't help us to be free. Free of the restraints that we put upon ourselves when we dislike. The restraints which we put upon ourselves when we reject and resist, when we close up our heart because we're afraid somebody might trample it. A heart full of love cannot possibly be trampled. Only a heart that has just that little bit of love in it for one person and expects to have results from that, that can be trampled. The mistake we make about love is that we want results from it. We're doing it for a purpose instead of recognizing the fact that that's the only function our heart has it's the same as when we study we expect results we want to make a good living from it because we have filled our mind with information and are able to disseminate it and so we expect results from that but To expect results from our heart is foolish because the results are self-evident. They are immediate and they need no one else. We always think there must be somebody else so that we can get results. The results are within. The heart is free. The heart is giving. The heart doesn't have any kind of restriction there's a feeling of security people talk about security in terms of insurance policies or job security retirement for security the only place to retire to is into one's own heart that's the only security one can find every moment of the day when the heart is loving, there's no feeling of fear. There's no feeling of worry. It's impossible to have both together. Love and fear do not go together. Love and worry do not go together. It's either one or the other. There's nothing to fear because we're totally sure that no matter what happens, the heart isn't going to change. Whatever other people do, that's their problem. Our own heart doesn't have that problem. So the feeling of security, the feeling of self-confidence, the feeling of being without burdens makes life much much easier it's a difference as if one is traipsing around with a hundred pound backpack on one's back or whether one can leave that at home if you've ever had a hundred pound backpack on your back you know what it feels like after you've traipsed around with it for a while it's most annoying to say the least the difference is just like that or even more so our way to do that is in every small encounter every little encounter with every single human being every single human being can be our teacher and if we use it that way we will certainly have results from that sometimes we will miss out on a lesson why not it's okay. we can be quite sure we're going to get exactly the same lesson again just like in school the advantage we had in school and in college was that they told us when the exams are going to be they also told us the topics so we could bone up on it. In life, nobody tells us. It happens all the time. And although the topic is always the same, it's always love or hate. It comes in different guises. Sometimes it's called John, and sometimes it's called Helen, and sometimes it's called boss, and sometimes it's called husband, and sometimes it's called son, and sometimes any name whatsoever it's always the same thing and every time we miss out on one of these exams we may feel badly about it it's no use blaming ourselves we haven't made any promises that we're going to pass every exam if we look upon our life as an adult education class we've got it right that's all it is And it goes on from morning to night. And every time we miss out on an exam, it comes again. It has a different name, but it comes again. And if you look back upon your life, you might have actually had the same exam five, six, or seven times every time with a different name. Noticing that is extremely helpful. Because next time, one may be forewarned and say, "Uh "Aha." This is another exam I'm getting. So in order to pass these exams, the big ones, we have to pass the little ones. Every time we are confronted with anyone at all, can we try to love that person? For what reason? None whatsoever except to arouse love in our own heart. This is a whole different. Just that one thing is a whole difference. we are supposed to be loving to somebody, love somebody, because there's a reason to love that person. That's nonsense. The only reason there is is to develop love in one's own heart. We might start on the easy people. People who haven't done anything particularly awful to us whom we meet here and there, the neighbors, if they're nice, the people at work, if they don't bother us too much, the postman, anyone, anyone at all. And then, after having graduated from that, then we go to the difficult people. We don't lose our discrimination. We don't lose the understanding of what's good and bad we just lose hate anyone who even reduces hate will find life a totally different proposition it's just completely different hate is very stressful extremely stressful I'll just give you a very small example which I'm sure you've all experienced. I've only just recently experienced it. Going on the freeway, you want to get somewhere, obviously, and it's absolutely and totally full of cars and you can't move. So, you get nervous, excited, upset. You hate the cars, you hate the freeway, you hate the people, you hate everything. So, it's a terribly stressful situation. You come home, you talk about it, everybody knows, yes, very stressful. But you sit in the car and everything is full, can't move, you sit there. And you decide to wait till the thing moves again. So, no stress, no strain, nothing. You can even practice loving the people in the cars around you. Very simple. No stress, no strain, nothing. Come home and you can tell that you've tried loving people. People might think that it's a bit funny, but at least yourself haven't got any stress or strain. The hate, the dislike, the rejection, which arises over and over again in the smallest situation and then, of course, comes again in the big situations, is that which creates the stress and the strain, the tension, the nervousness, and eventually also the sickness. It really is like a poison. It's a poison which we produce ourselves. Now we have this opportunity in everyday life and coupled with that we have the loving-kindness meditation. And we're going to do it every night in a little different manner so that when you go home you can do it yourself. It's very useful to do it every morning before you face the world. You can spend ten minutes on it. You can spend an hour on it, whatever time you have available. You can do it in any which way you like. You don't have to try and remember my words. You can use your own. Just so that you create an inner situation which is loving and compassionate the center of our being are we ourselves if we don't love ourselves we don't love anybody often people find that in the loving-kindness meditation they can feel something for other people but they don't feel anything for themselves unfortunately that is most likely intellectual enterprise which doesn't hurt it's fine it's okay but it isn't really love because as we learn to love ourselves with all our difficulties all our hindrances all our unlovable traits we learn to love everybody like that too we ourselves are not totally lovable we have difficulties and we have hindrances. If we can love ourselves with all that, we can love everybody else with all those difficulties. We can see the difficulties quite clearly in ourselves, because if we can't see them, we can't change them. We can see the difficulties in everybody else quite clearly, as long as we've seen them in ourselves, we see the same ones in other people. But that doesn't change the love. The one does not affect the other. So we really have to make a concerted effort to know ourselves and love ourselves in spite of it. Because only then will we be able to know others and love them for what they are. Very often in relationships, one of the great difficulties is that there is an expectation that there's an expectation how the person's supposed to be and then we will love them. We have that same expectation of ourselves, how we're supposed to be. And if we are that way, we will love ourselves. We'll never be that way. If we practice diligently, long enough, patiently enough, we come finally to that situation where we're not they're never going to be the way we think we're supposed to be because first of all as an ordinary everyday human being it's an impossibility and if we do take the steps towards enlightenment it's totally changed completely different so if we have ideas how we and others are supposed to be we are already out of love. We've got to love the way it is, not the way it should be. And the way it should be, it's never going to be anyway. It's a, it's a dream, the way it should be. It's an idea. Always beautiful, always young, always rich, always happy, always this, always that, like on the billboard doesn't work. Nobody's like that. We're real. We're real people, So we love ourselves real, the way we are. And then we can actually do that. No matter what other people have within. Our loving kindness meditation is nothing but an aid to that. Our main work lies in everyday life and even now it's very important to start doing it right now even though we can't say anything to the other person that doesn't matter we can start feeling there are enough different people here that we can practice with we can practice loving them Why? so that the heart gets open. No other reason. That's all. A very good practice situation. Also a little bit facilitated because nobody talks back. A little easier than usual. So we start with the easy things and we do the difficult ones later. If we get an idea that there's really no difference between people it's much easier to have that feeling of belonging together and when we get that feeling of belonging together we can love because if we belong together anyway what other choice do we have except loving each other loving each other as a heart quality is an outflow which can be felt it doesn't have to show itself in particular action it can it doesn't have to even show itself in particular words it's an outflow of emotion and the more it flows out from us the more we've got Meta is that it is non-conditional unconditional it doesn't put conditions on the other person it's the kind of loving which does not have the usual society based ideas around it but it is nothing but that feeling of caring and being together on a basis of accepting just the way it is Even ourselves we accept as the way we are. That doesn't mean we can't change. But if we don't accept ourselves the way we are, we're constantly discontented because we're certainly not the way we might have thought we could be. Discontent is against love. Contentment is part of love that kind of base in one is independent of everyone else so it is unconditional and independent and unconditional and independent is eventually our way to total freedom the teaching goes to that which is non-conditioned and totally independent Heart and mind both have to be involved. This is a kind of training and practice which brings immediate results. Practice now. I'll talk about the other three emotions which are also included in the four Brahmaviharas this evening. This is enough for this morning. Maybe you have some questions.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: To be affectionate, yes, certainly. The word affection is a translation in because there is nothing better. It is, what is meant as attachment? What is really meant as attachment? And very often, attachment go together with that kind of affection that we have for a separate person, for a single person. But of course, we can have affection as love, as a love that I've been explaining. It's the attachment which is the um, enemy, really, which is the um, the affection itself can be a pure emotion. It mostly isn't, but it can be. Yes. Mm. Fear of others' attachment. Why do you fear that? Isn't that their problem? Yeah, I, uh, I think I understand what you're saying. That can, of course, happen, yes. But if oneself has trained oneself to the point where one's own love is non-attached, then it is of great value to those people who are becoming attached. And they can learn from, from the example, and they can be very helpful by it, and it can be a very good situation for them. It is, a, it is a, certainly a result that happens, but it, if one has trained oneself sufficiently, can be very helpful. Yes. Yes, Yes, certainly. Certainly, then the love emotion that one may have for people that are close to one, then one can recognize that as, uh, as love and then being able to use it in that understanding or that recognition to use that and go further with it. That's extremely helpful. The same with the other three which I'll talk about here. Yes, recognizing it and thereby being able to expand upon it, certainly. It's even more important to recognize the opposites, to see when it isn't present. Yes. Well, monks and nuns in the Buddhist dispensation don't have relationships because they want to get enlightened. It depends why you don't want a relationship. If you don't want a relationship just because you're afraid it's not going to work out, uh, you may need one in order to teach how to make it work. Maybe you're good. But if you don't want a relationship because you want to concentrate on a spiritual path, well, yes don't, don't have a relationship I mean it's a very individual matter you know and even in the Buddhist time there were people that were married and were able to go a long way on the spiritual path I think the business with the relationships is also um, misunderstood a lot today because one looks for freedom within a relationship, which means that there isn't enough giving. See, relationships teach one giving. And that is very often not the case anymore, so it becomes more and more difficult. But the reason why relationships are so difficult is because everybody themselves has difficulties. So then you get two difficulties together, you've got it double. it depends entirely why one doesn't want to have a relationship if it's fear it uh, it's better to overcome that fear and try to make it work yes if one if one has a fear of it it's much better to overcome that fear and try everything in oneself to make it work, to see the mistakes one has made in the past and maybe not make them again. Something like that. Use it as a seedbed. Yes. If I accept the way I am, why do you, accept you accept the way you are uh, and love yourself the way you are because if you're discontented, you can't love yourself properly, right? And as you accept yourself the way you are, you also know yourself the way you are. And as you see those um, areas which could be improved upon, you lovingly and carefully improve upon them. I like to compare that to an, an artist, a sculptor, who has made a sculpture. He looks at his sculpture and he sees that it isn't perfect yet that it has some unevenness, that some of the lines are not very um, harmonious. So he very lovingly and very carefully takes his chisel and very carefully changes it. He still loves the sculpture, otherwise he wouldn't go to the trouble of changing it. But he's very careful with it and very loving, and he changes it little by little. So we are the sculptor and the sculpture. Yes. Not the impurest. Um, Mother love has a great deal of fear in it Mm -hmm. because it's extremely attached. Not the impurest of the lot. I mean, they're much impurer ones. (laughs) In fact, the Buddha said that one should love the whole world, every being, just as a mother loves her child. And this is a thing that we could also take to heart because if we have children, we know how we feel about that child and we know exactly that we don't feel like that about anyone else who's not our own child. But the Buddha said that in the time that we have all been around we may have all been somebody's children. So everybody may have been our mother. So if we can actually have that kind of feeling for others, that we have for our own children, it would be a totally different world. That a mother's love is extremely attached, creates fear in the mother for the life of the child, which is a kind of protective system. Which is necessary in the beginning when the child is small. So the mother knows that fear very much. They hates the idea of losing. So that is when a mother is very clear the fear, the fear for the child. And yet the Buddha used the mother's love as the epitome of love. So certainly not as the impurest, the one that has great fear in it. I get yeah, well, who doesn't? <laughs> oh it is it is a great problem because of the attachment you see one gets mad at them because they don't shape up they don't do what was, what we think they ought to be doing well if one could drop that what they ought to be doing maybe that would be helpful I don't think anybody has found a perfect way to bring up children yet. (laughs) I can tell you that the easiest way to bring up children is to be their grandmother. (laughs) It's very simple. You just let them be. (laughs) Yes. Cruel. Yes. Yes. And I can send
1: that each person and if I think Right. But when I get them together and see that the I can get up in my and a feeling me. Is just process more Mm. Yes. Yeah.
0: Well, compassion is certainly a very good thing at that time because if you see a person who's acting badly, uh, you have compassion for that person because they are going to get the bad results, you see? Now, the compassion is a feeling of non-hate, a feeling of empathy, and... Um, that you can't then actually love that person the difference is very slight because the compassion already has that feeling of caring, you care for that person, so that's good enough in fact that is the right way to handle this kind of thing and the same compassion then for the victim also and that is the same caring then anything else Okay, we'll say the little verse for the food again, and also just want to make clear again that I put it on the uh, schedule outside. It was it was lost. I don't know why. But after lunch, some people have selfless service, and those that don't do individual meditation in whichever way they like, and then all of them have a rest period. So there'll be actually a gong when the individual meditation should start, which is also the selfless service time, and also there'll be a bell when it's time to have the rest period, and then again when it's time to come back here. And I've written it up on the the schedule. Please put the attention on the breath for just a moment. And repeat after me. Reflecting carefully, I use this food. Not for pleasure. Not for for indulgence. indulgence. But only for maintaining this body. so so body. so So that it endures. For keeping it unharmed for supporting life so that former feelings of hunger are destroyed and new feelings from overeating do not arise then there will be for me a lack of bodily obstacles and living comfortably
1: Wish you a very nice lunch.